just going to go through this. Uh, Mike, uh, feel free to jump in whenever you have comments or when I miss something. Uh, don't be afraid to just jump in there. I'll try to uh, point things out uh, for you to, to specifically comment as well. Um, we named the name of this initiative Soil Health for Nebraska Wealth. And we came up with that name. We had, we had a number of different names that you know were, were all good. Uh, we had a lot of people that really liked this one, and, and we liked it too because not only does it speak to soil health uh, being a source of wealth for farmers, but also for the state of Nebraska. And, and what we mean by that is, you know, the wealth of Nebraska is largely in her resources, soil and water particularly. And when we can protect those through best management practices that increase soil health, uh, we know that we're helping the water as well. And so soil health will bring wealth for all of Nebraska, uh, not just our farmers. So LB 243 was passed about a year and a half ago by the legislature, legislature and it uh, mandated that a uh, healthy soils task force be formed uh, to look at a specific number of questions, but primarily uh, to evaluate what's been going on in Nebraska with healthy soils or with soil health work and then to, to look at what could be done to make it better, what, what needs to be done to make soil health in Nebraska more of a reality to get uh, more adoption across the state. And so the, the folks that you see here, we had a great team of people. There were 17 different people uh, that were appointed by the governor to be on this task force, uh, some from academics, uh, some from the legislature, a couple of from in, in, environmental. Uh, we had representatives from the natural resources uh, districts. Uh, we had production agriculture folks, and then we had some agribusiness as well. So really good cross-section of people that, that were able to be on this and, and give their inputs and opinions. And, and what we came up with for a mission statement for the task force uh, was we wanted to develop a positive, proactive plan for soil health to ensure an enriched, resilient, and sustainable future for the state of Nebraska. And, and really, that's what this is all about. It's looking to the future. Uh, you know, we're not trying to look back into the past uh, to, to really point fingers or say, well, this should have been done, done different or that. We're really looking to the future saying, here's what we could do. Here's what we should do in order to give uh, soil a better health across the state of Nebraska. So that's really what we looked at as a task force. Um, we had a number of different things that we did and looked at, and, and we're not necessarily going to go into the entire um, report here. We will post a link at the end of this, and uh, we would love it if you downloaded a copy of the report and, and read it, looked at it uh, later on. Uh, but basically, you know, in order to, to do this type of report, you know, we had to kind of define what soil health is. We had to look at what soil health is. We looked at what a lot of other states are doing. We looked at a lot of different things. Uh, but basically, you know, we, we wanted to have a common definition of soil health. And this definition is not all that different than what NRCS has put out. Uh, but we said soil health is the capacity of the soil to function as a dynamic living ecosystem that nourishes plants, sustains animals and people, and improves the environment. And that last part is just a little bit different. It kind of fleshes out just a little bit more of the why of soil health and not just the what. So we want our soil to nourish plants, sustain animals and people, and improve the environment. And if we can do that, we feel like we'll really have accomplished a lot. And then some indicators, the soil becomes healthier when organic matter levels are increasing through carbon sequestration, uh, which is a term and a phrase you hear a lot about nowadays. 
Uh, a soil becomes healthier when water infiltration rates are improving, which obviously reduces erosion, runoff, and flooding. And then the third, the third big indicator is when the soil's biological life is diverse and abundant. Now, there's lots of ways that you can measure those things. There's lots of arguments that you can make about what the best way to measure those things are. But really, those are the three things that we felt were the most important. We don't have all the answers on how you measure them. We don't have all the answers about you know, how high or how low do these things need to be before it's considered healthy soil. Uh, we just kind of identified that those are three major areas that need to be looked at when it comes to soil health. Organic matter, the water infiltration rates, which reduces a lot of the, the negative impacts, and then soil biological life. There's quite a section in this report on, the, on why soil health is important. Uh, you know, some people thought we went overboard on this. Maybe we did, but we cut a lot out. <laughs> Mike can tell you that, you know, we could have, you know, this report ended up being about 35 pages, and then we have appendices and letters of support and things like that. Could have easily been double that much. We just had so much information. You know, there's a ton of good work being done out there uh, in the soil health world. Uh, but this graphic from the from the FAO of the United Nations does, does a good job of summarizing uh, the ecosystem services that soil delivers to the earth. I think I'm probably kind of preaching to the choir here, but we wanted to have things like this in the report so that when uh, somebody from an urban background would read this and they have no idea or no clue why is soil is important, you know, we want some graphics like this to be able to show them, well, you know, not only does it sequester carbon, then it purifies water, it can help regulate climate, it cycles nutrients, <clears throat> and so forth and so on. So there's really good information. This We wanted this uh, report to be kind of a teaching tool uh, that could be used for people to go out to their neighbors, to go out to their friends, to, to take it to folks, you know, in their church groups, and just be able to start a conversation about why soil is important, uh, and, and why should we care about soil health? Because it, it, again, when we say soil health for Nebraska wealth, we're not just talking about the wealth of the farmers, but of, of the entire state and all of the people. So in our report, we have these, these major sections where we talk about why soil health is important. And again, we don't have time to go into this. We could take the entire day if we wanted to talk about these, but you know, obviously water quality is, is so directly tied to soil health that you can't separate the two. And in fact, some of the language in LB243 was specific about water quality, water runoff. So when we improve water quality, it's again, it's gonna be a win for everyone in Nebraska. Uh, reduced erosion and sedimentation, not only is that a benefit to the farmer, but a benefit to the taxpayer as well. When we can keep the, keep the sediment out of the ditches, out of the reservoirs, we get longer life uh, out of those, far less maintenance cost. Uh, there's a lot of good research out there about healthy soils leading to healthier food production, which leads to healthy people. Uh, some, some really good research. And that's kind of an emerging area. We're seeing more and more and more studies coming out on that. Uh, and I think you'll continue to see a lot more about that. And it really is opening up some niches for smaller producers who have the ability to uh, do some direct marketing of some of the things that they're growing, whether it be grass-fed beef or it's a you know small vegetable farm, different things like that. Uh, you know, COVID-19 has done a lot of bad things. One of the good things that it has done, it is, has driven people uh, to look for more local food and, and healthier food and more locally sourced food. So there's huge opportunities for the people that uh, feel like they want to try to not only be good producers, but good marketers of their products as well. 
there's an extensive section on lower inputs and better profit for farmers because when soil health practices are done correctly, uh, you can really see healthy economics follow that. Uh, again, this is an area that needs to have a lot more done in it. I, we've got one example that we'll show here. There's lots of examples out there. But again, anytime you're talking about a major management change or shift for a farmer's operation, uh, the number one thing that has to be, you know, that they need to have a high level of confidence in is that level of economics. And so we spent a lot of time looking at different economic examples, bringing them in uh, to the report. Uh, again, without making it be, you know, strictly something that looks like it was written by an economist, we tried to give practical examples of, of how soil health can improve the economics of farm. Improve quality of life. Uh, there's, a, there's a graphic on the bottom right hand corner here from the South Dakota Soil Health Coalition where uh, they surveyed a whole bunch of farmers all across South Dakota and 80% of the soil health producers or ones that self-identified as using soil health practices uh, were confident that their operation was well positioned for generational secession versus only 43% of those uh, who were doing just more conventional practices. So that we got some information about that. Wildlife and pollinator benefit, resiliency against extreme weather. So again, there's just, just an extensive section on why soil health is important. Uh, some people don't need that. They're already convinced that it's important. Others uh, need to be, and again, we're writing this report back to the legislature. And so we wanted to make sure that we laid the groundwork, laid the case for why soil health is important. So Mike, do you want to talk just a little bit about this slide, some of the economic data here uh, from Jeff Steffen, uh, give a little background to who Jeff is, and then just talk briefly about this. Okay, thanks, Keith. Uh, good job. Uh, any questions for Keith, uh, given a little bit chance here? Any questions from anybody at this point? Yep, you can either say them up in the chat box too. Okay, okay, we'll go on. Um, appreciate the opportunity. And Jeff Steffens from Crofton. And if you're looking for systems economics, Jeff has 20 years plus, maybe 30, uh, of looking at different ways, trying to gauge economics of uh, of healthy soils. So he's modified the crop watch budgets. And so Jeff has got pretty good soil by Bow Creek. But if you look at Jeff's budget. And you look at irrigated farm, and he has good soil up there. Uh, Jeff is doing many things, but what's, what is in key point here, and Ward Lab has been helpful, he's down to about 0.60 pounds of nitrogen, and that's post-planting. And so we want to focus on different areas across the state to talk at economics, and Jeff, and we have other producers doing the same sort of thing. So in most people we've talked to, three things have come up economics, economics, and economics. So that keeps coming up over and over there. I'll leave it at that, Keith. Okay, yeah, and you can see some of the quotes that, that Jeff had. And, and again, these are all just uh, snapshots out of this report, uh, but not only do we have the numbers, but we have some of his own words, you know, saying he's not using insecticides and fungicides like he used to, he doesn't have the fuel expenses. Uh, he's able to reduce the inputs, has better water infiltration. So all of those things that we kind of talked about in the benefits, we see being played out in real life here on Jeff's farm. And, you know, on, on our own farm, you know, we farm in Webster County, uh, Bladen, Nebraska, south of Hastings. We're seeing many of the same things as well. Uh, we're probably not as good a record keepers as Jeff is. Most people are not. But a lot of people who are doing these practices, we echo a lot of these same benefits. 
Tan Lau uh, from Ohio State University. He was awarded with the World Food Prize. Uh, so he's a, a laureate uh, for the World Food Prize. He says, you know, soil health determines the productive capacity of any agricultural practice. And this is the part we really like. By improving soil health, we can produce more from less. Less land, less water, less fertilizer, less pesticides, less environmental damage, less emission of greenhouse gases. And I don't think there's anybody that would say that we want more of any of those things. We, you know, we want to have you know, more fertilizer, more pesticides. So health is all about is is about getting more from less more output from less inputs soil health and again we're just going to kind of cover these pretty quickly because you know we feel like uh you know most people probably have a pretty good understanding uh of of these principles uh but you know understand the context of your farming operation minimize soil disturbance i think i've got one slide on each one of these let me just go through these quick uh, principle number one, keep the soil covered. If you can't keep the soil covered, most of the other work that you do on your farm is going to go to not, go to waste. Most of these pictures that I'm using here are from our farm here in uh, South Central Nebraska. It'll look like we don't want to be able to see where we planted. We just want to see that plant coming up through all that great residue. So the top right picture is corn, wheat straw, uh, the bottom left is soybeans that are pretty well getting ready to set pods. And yet you can see how much cover we have uh, evaporation. Uh, so we're much more water efficient and there's no weeds growing there. We, we did one burn down of this and no post application and really had very few weed problems. So keep the soil cover number one. <laughs> Again, this is a picture of our tractor, our planter. Uh, this is a kind of an experiment that we did where we were rolling down cereal rye with, with a heavy dose of hairy vetch out there. We've got the Don's ZRX rollers out in front of that planter. So as we're making this planter pass through the field, uh, it's rolling down that cover crop and then we're planting right into this. Now, we're not organic, so we did give a little, a little bit of a spray of Liberty over the top of this to just kind of knock that vetch out because we didn't really feel like we had enough down pressure. Uh, there was over 4,000 pounds of biomass in that hairy vetch, 180 pounds of nitrogen that we produced in that cover crop. There was so much there, we didn't think we were doing a very good job getting it killed. So we did use a little chemical, uh, but in an organic situation, I think we could have made it some modifications to where we weren't. But again, minimize soil disturbance. We don't want to move that soil if we don't have to. And the other thing is with soil disturbance, uh, it's not just a physical mechanical disturbance. Uh, herbicides can also be a disturbance. So when we sprayed that, we gave some disturbance to the soil. Uh, anytime we apply any type of chemical or synthetic, there's, there's some disturbance going on there. So we want to minimize it. We don't have to completely eliminate it, whether it's tillage or whether it's a chemical. Uh, we want to reduce that as much as possible. The other picture here is just uh, some corn uh, coming up. And again, that's, we, don't, we don't use row cleaners. We don't want to move that soil. Uh, we can't, it's not very easy to maximize diversity in the cash crops that we're growing. We're still growing a lot of corn and soybeans, uh, but we are doing a bunch of other things too. Like the picture on the bottom left is that we grow uh, for seed or with a ladybug on it. Uh, the upper right one there is a cover crop that we were using right before we planted corn. We would have uh, planted, was, uh, rolled this down and planted corn into this, but you can see the hairy vetch starting to bloom. 
uh, all sorts of things growing out there that uh, is to that next corn crop. Oh, that shouldn't say minimize, I should say maximize the life and growth of plants. Uh, we want something growing out there all the time. And so here is, uh, these aren't actually from our farm. These were for some people that we work with, uh, but they're planting cover crops in between their rows of corn. And so you can see them growing up while the corn is, so the corn is drying down, is almost ready to be harvested, but they've got the next set of plants growing there. So we wanna maximize how much we're growing in, in the living plants. And then the fifth principle is, is to integrate livestock as much as possible. Uh, the top two pictures are from one of my uh, salesmen who also runs cattle. And so you can just see cattle out there grazing on cover crops. When we can integrate cattle back on farm ground, uh, there's a lot of benefits that, that accrue. And we've got a pretty good section in the report uh, talking about the importance of that, but also the challenges of it, because it is not the easiest thing to do, especially when a lot of fences have been taken out, there's not really good water systems. So there's a lot of challenges to doing that, but a lot of benefits to accrue as well. And then the bottom picture uh, with the composting operation, that is from our place. We do make compost out of a lot of our seed cleanings and out of manure uh, that we get from a local feedlot. You know, Nebraska has so many feeding operations, whether it be uh, cattle, chickens, or hogs. Uh, that manure is a, is a very, very valuable byproduct of, of those operations. And especially when you can put it into a condition, uh, you know, where it's better for the soil. So we, we run all over through a composting operation, mostly to kill weed seeds, because the number one problem we've seen from applying raw manure uh, was all the weeds that we got. So uh, we can turn it five or six times through a windrow like this. We can get it to heat up uh, hot enough to kill the uh, weed seeds. And then when we spread that, we have far fewer problems. So integration of livestock is an important part as well. And then kind of the last principle of soil health, some people would say it should be the first and maybe it should be, that's just know the context, know, know where you're farming at, know what your conditions are, what kind of soils do you have, what is your climate, uh, you know, what are the environmental constraints around you. And so as we wrote this report, and, and Mike can talk about this later too, but we really were sensitive to the fact that what works for me in South Central Nebraska is not gonna be the same practices that are gonna work for say Steve Tucker, it's going to we, we have the same goals in mind we want to employ the same principles but we're going to have to use different practices to get there and so you really need to know that context uh and what's important to the farmer because what's important to them uh, may vary from from farmer to farmer and that's going to determine some of those practices that are used so, you know, we, we talked about the importance of soil health. We talked to, yeah, go ahead, Mike. This is Chuck. I just wanted to comment. Sometimes your voice oh, gets troubled. Wondered if maybe you want to turn your uh, video camera off. We might get better uh, internet utilization. Ah, good point. Yeah, thank you. I'm, I'm actually not in my regular office. I'm at a, another location, so my internet may not be as great as I'd hope. So, Hopefully that'll be better. Sorry about that. Um, so we we wanted to address the barriers to soil health adoption because you know there's you, you look at all the benefits and somebody might look at that and go, well, geez, why isn't everybody doing it? It sounds so great. And and sometimes we look at all those things and we think, yeah, why isn't everybody doing that? It should be. Uh, there's a lot of barriers. There's a lot of difficult things to have to overcome. And so here's a list. Again, we're not going to go through all of these. We, we talk about these briefly in the report. 
Uh, but these are some of the things that have to be addressed in any soil health work that's going to be done uh, is overcoming these and, and you know, everything from non-operating landlords to just having a lot of acres in a corn soybean rotation, which makes it more, not impossible, but more difficult to implement cover crops from a timing standpoint, uh, you know, increased management requirements. So we talk, you know, we talk about all of these barriers and the difficulties that uh, farmers face uh, that they have to overcome in order to do this. And economics is in there as well, just understanding the economics. So we address these, we don't necessarily try to solve them. This report was not intended to solve all the problems, but to identify them and then put some things in place that will help solve them down the road is, is the goal of this report. Uh, Mike, any thoughts or comments on, on these barriers? No, um, uh, Keith primarily wrote this section. We got input and we could have gone on and on. If we were to add a section, it'd be discounts. So uh, several of you on this call have really helped us, but it's easy to identify the disincentives. Uh, the incentives are, are more challenging, but these barriers from each of you as we work and, and get to the next part of our stages, think about which of these that were low hanging fruit that we can most help farmers and help each other. So the ones that come out that uh, we, we wanted to set up some action groups we'll talk about later, is probably that understanding the second bullet. We all talk about it. Uh, I know Jenny talked about biological foliars, a little bit in hers. Um, crop insurance, that fourth one, some states have a $5 per acre discount. And then probably that fifth one, we've talked with Bijesh, we really need to get this going with your group and getting a, a plan with all of us, how we work in different ecosystems in the state. So as we go, just think about three or four of these but we want to get something going this spring, get some subgroups going. Thanks, Keith. Okay, yep, thanks, Mike. Okay, so then we move into the actual initiative. That was all kind of the background work. Um, the directive of LB243 was to come up with a statewide soil health initiative. In, in other words, a plan, a, a set of steps uh, some big lofty goals to drive soil health forward for Nebraska. And so these are the things that we felt like we wanted the initiative to address. We wanted to have better methods to measure soil health, because again, we know a lot of people are doing a lot of good things, but it's difficult to measure. It's difficult to have standardized measurements. And so that's definitely something that had to be addressed. There's a lot of good soil health work going on in the state. And, and again, like I said, many on this call have done a lot of communicated and coordinated uh, as we'd like to see. And so we wanted to improve the coordination, collaboration and communication between all of the work already going on as well as any future work. Um, be more tactical and program offerings. Uh, in other words, we wanted to uh, really think through what programs are out there, which programs are missing and then figure out how to deliver those. Uh, increase soil health awareness and knowledge, both to farmers and to consumers. Uh, demonstrate best soil health practices on a regional basis. And again, that was very important to us uh, because we can't demonstrate something in the East and expect the guys out West to be able to use the same practices. Focus on the economic benefits of soil health because if we can convince people of the economics, uh, it'll be much, much easier to get them to adopt practices. Uh, enhance soil health learning. 
increase research around soil health. Again, there's some of that being done. There's a lot more being looked at all the time, uh, but it needs to be increased and then also uh, better coordinated and communicated out to folks. And then finally, actively pursue multiple sources of funding because none of this stuff happens uh, for free. Uh, it's going to take some money to drive this initiative forward. So those are the things that we wanted to address as we develop this initiative. And so we came up with five main goals for this initiative. And this is where we want to spend a little bit of time talking about what these goals are. This is what we're proposing to the legislature. There is a hearing. Uh, uh, there's been a legislative resolution introduced by Senator Gregor. Uh, uh, essentially encouraging the legislature to accept this report, uh, to, to uh, agree that these things are all important and then to encourage a grassroots effort to start this. So we'll talk more about what that looks like. Uh, but basically these are the goals. These are the things that we're suggesting need to be done. Number one, we really feel strongly that it's important that we get some sort of a coordinating body going for the state of Nebraska. We're calling it the, the state soil health hub. Um, so that, that would be a central entity, kind of a new entity, not, not, a, not a new bureaucracy. And we'll talk a little bit about why we don't want it done certain ways, but, but a new entity that their primary focus would be to communicate, coordinate, collaborate, facilitate, promote, and recruit just around soil health. And this is not gonna be replacing what other entities are doing. It's gonna be augmenting it. It's gonna be assisting them. It's gonna be helping it because this soil health hub would be made up of the different entities that are already doing work. So in order for this to work, a UNL has to be a part of this. NRCS has to be a part of this. The NRDs need to be a part of this. The, the farm groups like Farm Bureau and Farmers Union need to be a part of it. The commodity groups like the corn board and the wheat board and soybean, they need to be a part of it. The agribusinesses like Ward Labs and Green Cover Seed, they need to be a part of it. Uh, the non-governmental organizations like uh, Nature Conservancy and Pheasants Forever, they need to be a part of it as well. So it's, it's gonna take everybody doing it. So this is really just a, a coalition or alliance or a grouping of all of the people already doing a lot of this great work, uh, but having more of a centralized focus, it would require some full-time staff to really drive these initiatives forward uh, on behalf of all of those forming members. And so that model, is kind of unique. We looked at what a lot of other states are doing. There's some similar type things, but if we could get this accomplished, if we could do what we propose here, uh, it would really make Nebraska very unique and really give us uh, uh, a leg up on a, what a lot of other people are doing. <clears throat> and then the second part of this is that we would want to see regional proving grounds is what we're calling them, <clears throat> but basically looking at dividing the state up into these six different areas which it already kind of is uh, through uh, extension engagement zones, through Natural Resource uh, Commission, uh, NRCS uh, working zones, through NRDs. Uh, these boundaries match up pretty well uh, on all of those. And then we would wanna see regional work happening in each of those areas, whether it be on-farm research, like what you guys have already talked about, that would be specific to soil health in these areas. Uh, maybe it would be some uh, some workshops that would be looking at uh, soil health practices. It could be utilizing some of the existing uh, soil health demonstration farms. So again, we're not looking at recreating a lot of things. We're looking at utilizing what's already out there. 
uh, adding to it and then really leveraging the power and the benefit of all that by helping to communicate that to more people across the larger area and then also tying people together so that if the NRD is doing a program uh, and the NRCS is thinking about doing something similar, well, they can join their forces and have one program that is better uh, and get it out to more people. So that th there's a lot that goes into this, but this really is the linchpin of what we feel like needs to happen in order to really drive the work that is already being done, drive it forward and, uh, and make it even more effective. And most all the people that we talk to uh, really agree with this. There's, there's differing opinions of exactly what this looks like or you know, to what extent is it needed? But I think everybody said, yeah, uh, there's a lot of work being done, but it's probably not communicated and coordinated as well as it should. So Mike, what are some of your thoughts, uh, additional things around this goal that you'd like to share? Yeah, thanks Keith. Um, Jenny, Chris, Gary, I don't reckon everybody's name that's participating. Uh, they wrote great letters. So if you, any of you want a hard copy, uh, we got a hard copy yesterday and we began distributing across state. Um, Keith did a very nice job. If, if we had a 4D, basically, you know how challenging it is to get farmers, people to participate in on-farm research. So rather than just each year trying to get this or that farmer, landowner, we're looking at this as the next step, that we have more of a strategic way to get to economics because you know how hard it is to get people to agree to do certain research. So we purposely chose the word proving grounds. If you Google Grant Woods in Missouri, you'll see how big this is across the nation. So think about your on-farm research, think about field days, think about having learning labs that we could take at the next step to work across the state. There's not enough extension educators, but it brings awareness to extension education that we have something more systemic, and then it's naturally tied to cities. Uh, we didn't have them on there because this map's too busy, but if you'll notice, South Central, Hastings not too far away. Southwest, North Platte, Panhandle, Scotts Bluff, Northeast, Norfolk. We want to have a consistent way to tie to urban because urban is critical for water quality in many reasons. So. There's a lot going on in that, that we want to have conversations and many of you on this call are, are critical to that because we want to help you. So thanks, Keith. Yep, thanks, Mike. So I say this this is really critical, we feel, to drive this forward. Um, again, it, it, it would be, we don't look at this to be a new bureaucracy. And for that reason, specifically, we do not want this to be uh, another division of the Department of Agriculture. We'd love to have Department of Agriculture's involvement. Uh, we do not this, want this run through any type of government program. We really don't feel like it should be run through any individual existing entity because then I think that discourages other, other partner buy-in, other partner participation. So we really look at this to be uh, more of a new entity uh, that would be made up of all of these other ones. So not easy to do. If it was easy to do, it would already be being done and being done in a lot of different states. So that's goal number one. Goal number two is to form a Nebraska statewide producer learning community. Uh, there are some pretty good examples of this around us. South Dakota has a really good soil health coalition. Minnesota launched one. 
Colorado and Missouri are looking at doing some things. So there's there's some pretty good producer learning communities out there. Um, what we think would make ours a little bit unique is that it would be uh, the, the hub that we talked about in goal number one would really work with this producer learning community uh, to do some of the administrative work, to do some of the, 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 the background and footwork. But really this would be a group of producers who could come together uh, in, in various formats, could be some virtually, could be some in person, but share the knowledge that they've learned, to share information, uh, to, to be a resource for uh, uh, you know, an older, more experienced soil health practitioner could provide information for someone who's just wanting to get started or you know, a, a new producer just out of college who's taking over and, and you know, wants to do a, a practice that he's not really familiar with, he could come to my operation and look what's going on. So these pictures, uh, this is a field day that we had. You know, we're demonstrating how that planter works. Uh, we're talking about what, what different cover crops what different forage crops are like. So what we would envision here is just producers being willing to share information with other producers. Uh, you know, the on-farm learning network would fit really nicely into here uh, because, you know, that's basically producers who are willing to risk things uh, to test a hypothesis, to, to test out a new product, to do different things, and then share that information with others. And that's really what we're looking at, uh, but leveraging that out and, and doing a lot more with it, being a lot more purposeful uh, with some of the, you know, electronic media uh, options. There's lots of ways for, for people to share information, uh, provide internships. You know, if there's, if there's uh, uh, students that are interested in some of these, you know, we'd love to have a good intern come out so we could show them what we're doing and they could get some practical experience. There's really no end uh, to the benefits that could come from a successful learning community like this. Goal three is to develop the next generation of soil health practitioners. So, so where goal one and two really deals a lot with existing producers, goal three, we're really looking for what's that next generation going to look like? Uh, you know, we hear all the time about uh, the average age of the Nebraska farmer, which is, you know, in the very high upper 50s. Uh, who's going to replace them? Who's coming on board next? We've got some great educational resources within Nebraska. Uh, we want to utilize those resources to really prepare the next generation of soil health practitioners. And we're not talking about just farmers or just ranchers here. You know, we want to target, uh, you know, who's going to be the next uh, generation of extension agents and uh, NRCS technicians and uh, even even a salesman for an agribusiness company that would have more of a soil health perspective and soil health background. So uh, just looking at all these different entities all the way from UNL to, uh, you know, 4-H clubs of, of ways that you could develop programs to help prepare people, to, you know, for careers in soil health. Uh, Mike, I know this is one you have a lot of passion around. We'll share some of your thoughts about this one. Yeah, thanks, Keith. Um, Keith and I have a teaching background. Um, so goal two and goal three, we checked with 37 other states as we started working on this uh, almost 20 months ago. So I want to add one brief thing to goal two. You know, with the Zoom, it's changing education in ways we can never envision. I know I've talked to Chris several times. I can imagine how many headaches Chris has been doing trying to plan this for today and it's going well. Most demo days and field days are who we hope to get there. And oftentimes it's singing or teaching to the choir. So 
we are looking at this as a vertical and horizontal. And that's intentional. So it means you're getting the wide spectrum vertical of different producers, wide range. Horizontal is the key part. That means where we always talk about mineralization or soil health, but you take people along the way as they go from first to third to fifth year. So that next generation of soil health practitioners is for those future farmers that Keith talked about. So go back to those six areas, Northeast Nebraska, Southeast, South Central, North Central, Northwest, Southwest. We would set up things with UNL extension, 4-H, FFA, that we'd be recruiting, supporting the best of the best. But what's critical, we wanna have a direct conduit with people as they age, that they make connections with people that they feel comfortable allowing them to farm, ranch. Otherwise, we all read the article on Bill Gates a couple of days ago. It just becomes bigger and bigger and the small guy can't get into farming and ranching that really wants it. And we talk about it, but we gotta have a plan to get after that. So that's where that comes from. Uh, horizontal, vertical, and two and three tie right hand in hand. Last, you know how pressed the budgets are for extension. I just got off my two terms on the Otto County extension. We have to do a better job across the state getting support for boots in the trenches, crops and water. And this is a way to be strategic, to help you and help all of us, because we need each of you that have helped me more than I can ever thank some of you. So thanks, Keith. Okay, yep. Our fourth goal is to recruit $50 million in additional soil health funding and incentives over the next 10 years. <clears throat> this one is often understood. If you look at this and think, man, they want $50 million in, in, in uh, government money, taxpayer money. Uh, no, that's not going to happen. We're not, we're not asking for that. We're, we're not naive enough to think that, that would even be a possibility. What we're looking at doing here is recruiting corporate money, recruiting uh, ecosystem money uh, through carbon sequestration markets, through the sustainability initiatives. Uh, the Cargill Beef Up Sustainability Initiative is already launched within Nebraska. Uh, the Nature Conservancy and some of the NRDs are working on this. And, and I think that was the seven or $8 million program right there. Uh, there is a ton of money out there ready to be spent in these carbon markets uh, there's a lot of unknowns. There's a lot of uncertainties. Our own farm, we have not done anything yet because we we don't feel like we understand it enough yet. And so what we would be looking at is using the hub as an entity that can kind of help vet some of these programs, uh, that can help uh, explain the differences between some of these programs, uh, but then also reach out to these programs, reach out to Cargill and say, hey, uh, you know, we've got X number of acres of corn production in Nebraska that are under sustainable uh, production models. Uh, you know, we could really fit, you know, if you're looking for sustainably grown corn for this plant, uh, let us help you get in contact with the farmers to do this. So we would look at, you know, I would be very disappointed if 90% of this money did not go directly to the farmers. Uh, this is money that's going to incentivize practices that farmers are either already doing or incentivize them to change and, and do some of these soil health practices and get paid to do it. And that's that's what those you know ecosystem programs are for, the carbon credits. Uh, again, there's a lot that we have to learn. There's a lot of changing. When we started writing this report uh, back in the early summer of 2020, 
uh, there were there were three main things I had in the in the carbon market section. By the time we printed the report in, uh, well, I turned it in, you know, to the editor in November. You know, so basically from April through November, the number of programs that I could talk about in there doubled. There were three additional programs that came on board just in that short period of time. Uh, and these aren't just theoretical. These are programs that are being rolled out by major companies like Bayer and Nutrien. You know, the big boys are getting into this carbon market, too. So you'll see a lot of hype and information about this. Uh, and so we want in on some of that action for Nebraska farmers. So that's what that goal is. <clears throat> and then the last goal, we've talked about this a little bit already. <clears throat> and that's just simply we need to establish soil health measurements and benchmarks here in Nebraska. There's been some good work done on this. There's some good information out there. We, we talk about a lot of it in a report, but we need a good technical committee put together that would, that would look at these and determine what are the best ways for Nebraska to, to measure and benchmark. Where are we at in our soil health journey right now so that we can measure again in, in next year and in three years and in five years and in 10 years to see how much progress we have made. And so you know, it's a fairly simple goal, but it's really, really important. Uh, and it's one that we feel like uh, can really happen pretty quickly because there's already some really good work being done. Uh, there's a lot of people out there that are anxious to kind of get going on this one because they know how important it is. Because really you would want these in place before you do any major programs or management changes so that you could measure the effectiveness of that. So those are the five goals that we put together uh, just a little graphic that kind of shows how these things all work together uh, with that soil health hub kind of being at the center of everything and everything radiating out from that. And, and again, that's, that's why it's a hub. You know, the hub is at the center and then everything else radiates out, out from it. So collaborate, communicate and coordinate within that hub. The regional proving grounds uh, for demonstration, education, outreach and research is kind of that next level. And then that, what that leads to is producer learning communities and that next generation of practitioners is kind of that third ring out there uh, that is directly affecting both existing producers and future producers. And then the ultimate goal, the ultimate benefit, that outer ring, the biggest one is the societal benefits that will come from this. You know, everything from healthier food to cleaner water to carbon sequestration, less sedimentation, there's huge benefits for society, but those don't happen accidentally. Those only happen when you have these other layers and they radiate out to, uh, to that final layer of benefits out there. So uh, that's kind of a little a graphic that we came up with that kind of communicates not necessarily all the goals, but really all of the outcomes. Uh, Mike, any, any thoughts on that before we kind of go to our final slides here? No, uh, no, Keith, you've done a good job. Okay. Uh, just a few things that we want to be very clear about. This initiative and all the goals are 100% voluntary. We want no mandates. We want no regulations. Uh, we're not implying them, encouraging them, or desiring them. We want only people that are voluntarily coming into this uh, to do it. And, and, and we feel like that's very, very possible because the benefits, uh, th these practices work. Uh, the people on this committee uh, are using them or have seen them used and uh, on the task force. And so we're, we're very confident uh, that when people see these work and see the economic benefits that the voluntary <clears throat> is not gonna be an issue. <clears throat> we don't want this hub to be another level of red tape or bureaucracy, but rather a cooperative effort 
between all these stakeholders, like I talked about. So uh, it's for the mutual benefit of all, and they're going to have to come together. They're going to have to do a lot of the funding. They're going to have to do a lot of the groundwork. Uh, and so it's not something that's just going to be done for them, uh, but it's going to be done something that's going to be done for the benefit of all. And then again, to be fully successful, it needs to be supported by all these key players that I mentioned earlier. Uh, we, we have to have uh, a lot of people involved. Uh, it's not going to happen with just a, a, another group of volunteers on a task force. Uh, it's going to have to be a funded, coordinated effort to make this happen and make this work. Uh, we did a ton of work. Mike led the charge in this. Uh, Alan Moeller did a lot of the work. Uh, we had 25 different sessions with 31 different groups from across Nebraska. You can see a list of the groups there. Uh, we got 28 letters of support that were included in the final report. Now, I'm not here to tell you that everybody on this list came out and said, boy, this is the greatest thing we've ever read. Uh, we got a lot of helpful suggestions from some of these. There's some of these groups aren't totally on board with everything that's in here, and that's okay. We don't all have to agree completely. Uh, but I think in general, everybody agrees that soil health is really important and that uh, we need to take some of these steps, if not all of them, uh, to really move things forward to that next step. So we're encouraged by this because when we do go to the next step, uh, a lot of these groups, a lot of these individuals that we talk to, uh, I think are willing to, to continue to contribute what they can and where they can in the future. So our next steps is simply to start working on some of these. So LR5, Legislative Resolution 5, uh, will be uh, in Ag Committee uh, next Tuesday, uh, February 2nd. Uh, if it gets uh, passed from the committee to the floor, uh, then the, at some point the entire legislature will vote on that uh, legislative resolution. Doesn't necessarily do a lot other than give a stamp of approval of the legislature saying yes, uh, good job. We think these are good steps and go forth and, and try to accomplish them. We purposely wrote it that way because we're not saying you need to write a check for $5 million so that we can launch these things because we knew that wouldn't happen. And even if it could, we're not sure that's the way we would want it because, you know, anytime you get all that money from somebody, uh, there's going to be a lot of strings and, and uh, regulations along with that. And that's not, we don't want that. So, we want to start work in some of these areas. So if the resolution passes in the legislature, <clears throat> what we will do, uh, as it says here, that we will have a meeting, uh, a soil hub formation meeting for all interested parties. Uh, we'll advertise it, we'll schedule it, uh, we'll invite people to it, all those groups that we shared there. Uh, we'll get it out to anybody who wants to come. And basically what we will do is uh, then determine what the next, uh, you know, what that next level of leadership, what the next level of uh, working is going to be. And so that's a little bit vague. We don't know exactly what that looks like, but it will be communicated pretty well out to, to everybody to be a part of that. Um, the second thing is going to be uh, some of these other goals we think can get started pretty quickly with some working groups, the producer learning community, community, uh, obviously, that is something that, uh, again, has some bits and pieces out there already. Uh, but if we can focus on precision agriculture and economics and natural resources, uh, we can launch this with some of the entities out there already doing some of that work and other people that have expressed an interest. I don't think we have to totally wait for the hub to be formed or created. 
uh, to in order to launch this one. So we want to get a group of people working on this, as well as the next generation of soil health practitioners. A lot of interest from UNL and other educational entities and representatives uh, who have that passion for education that I think are willing to step in and start doing some groundwork on this one as well. Now, certainly once we have a hub formed, it will be much, much easier to do some of this, but I don't think we have to wait for all of that to happen before some of this works get started. Goal four with the additional soil health funding, this likely will have to wait for the hub to be formed because it's gonna be difficult to really drive forward on this goal uh, in any coordinated effort without the hub. There will be some groups doing individual things like the Nature Conservancy has done with Cargill. Uh, we hope to see more programs like that, uh, but to really get to a lot of this uh, uh, goal number four, we think that hub is gonna to have to be in place uh, to be able to have the resources to do that. And then the fifth goal, the benchmarks and measurements, uh, we think this will probably be one of the first ones that can get launched and going again, already good work being done. Uh, we just need to kind of get it organized, make sure everybody who has an interest in working on this can, has a chance to participate. Uh, so again, a lot of this is going to be launched uh, uh, with a successful uh, voting on LR5. Uh, then we will have a meeting for any parties that are interested in jumping in on some of this kind of divide up the different tasks and, and move forward on, on these different things. So those are kind of the, the, the main things that we've done. Just another little graphic there showing a lot of the different things. Uh, you are free to contact myself or Mike or Alan Moeller there. Uh, hey, Mike, can you copy the link from the Department of Agriculture? Can you put that in the chat if anybody wants to download yeah. the report? I meant to do that earlier, but if you can copy that, Paste that in the chat box so everybody has that. Yeah. Uh, that would that would be great. Yeah, and Keith, uh, uh, Gary gave permission that we can uh, announce our steps with UNL Extension and Sarah too. Oh, okay. But we don't have it on there yet, do we? No, we don't. We're working okay. on it. But Gary and I've been chatting. I'll go yeah. So so we'll have a copy of this report and any additional letters, support letters that come in on. Uh, the the SARE website as well eventually, but right now it you can get it from NDA, and Mike will post that link out there. 